Lone Star 187 is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Case File 19, The Three Little Angels. Hello, we're back. We are back. We uh, enjoyed our break, but we're glad to be back in the swing of the things, of the podcasting life. Yes. Uh, a lot of things happened over the summer. We went on some trips, moved, got a car, sent a kid to college. What else did we do? We put stickers everywhere. Yeah, we did put them. stickers everywhere. We did. Some people removed them, but that's okay. I'll just put them back. So, so we're hoping to start the new season with a bang. Go fuck yourself. As in the producer. There's our producer, sound guy, community <laughs> asshole. <laughs> Everybody's got to have one, right? I am so ready to hear your story. This, okay, let me start by saying I started to do this story the previous season, and there's a lot of information on it. There's police reports. I started reading it, and I just couldn't do it. And I guess either by virtue of the fact that now we've been doing this for... Nine months. Nine months, and I've read a lot of twisted stuff. I found this one again, and the same things that drew me to it before did it again, and I started reading it. I thought, no, we've already covered this. Only to realize we haven't. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say now, it's a tough one. So if you are really super sensitive to murders, particularly for young children, then you shouldn't listen to this episode because it's it sucks. And I tried not to be as graphic and detail as they were in the newspaper articles and even in the police report. So I tried to be mindful of that, but it's it's gonna suck. It is gonna suck. But I think we need to cover it because mm-hmm. it's a text. It happened in Texas, and we have some stuff to learn from it. Agreed. So let's get started. So this story happened in Brownsville, Texas, which is Cameron County, and it is close to the Gulf Coast. So it's about 544 miles south of Dallas, and it is directly adjacent to the border of Matamoros, Mexico. Um, the population is about 183,000, and that was in 2017. Um, It does have a really fast-growing economy, but it also has one of the highest poverty rates in the nation. Wow. Uh, I read that the the median income for a household in Brownsville was about $24,000. That was in 2017. Mm. Uh, The the city's unemployment rate was at 6.2%. So it's fast-growing, but there's not a lot of money to be made. And a lot of people are out of work, and they don't have money. So it's probably really depressing, I would guess. Let's start with how did people find out about this? So 7 p.m. on a Tuesday night, there's an officer in his patrol car driving around the neighborhood of a street in Brownsville called Tyler Street. And there's a cross street, which is 8th Street. So he was right at that corner. He's driving around and he's being waved down by a girl and a guy. And they took him to this apartment. It's apartment, it's part, apartment number 11. So basically he's just patrolling. They say, hey... They're waving him down, and so they take him into this apartment, okay? And when was this? In March of 2003. Okay. Fairly recent. 
So the officer's name is Efren Cervantes. He advised dispatch that he was being waved down. He pulled over and the female in Spanish told him the babies are dead. Um, at that point, a male subject spoke up and said, they have no heads. They have no heads? Told you it's going to be tough. He then asked them, you know, where at? And so they told me it was uh, by the Boys and Girls Club. The cop goes to the door, knocks on the door, and a guy answered who was later identified as John Allen Rubio. The cop said, what's going on? The guy invited the cop into the apartment, and when he took two steps in, a female who was later identified as Angela Camacho was sitting in what appeared to be a small bed or a futon. He could see that she was facing the floor and she wasn't looking up. As I made my way further into the apartment, one of the people that led him into the apartment stated, tell him. The guy that opened the door, Rubio, sat down next to the female and said, the kids are in the back room. The cop requested backup because he felt that he might need, like there might be something, they might have guns or whatever. So he was scared. So he asked for backup. And for the safety of the children, he thought, I need backup. So he decided to investigate further. So he walked down a small hallway and immediately got a scent of cleaning fluids, possibly bleach. Uh, there was a room to the right that was open. He approached the doorway and walked in. He looked in. He could see to the right there was a bed with no sheets and an infant's crib on the other side. And he also observed what appeared to be the body of an infant child. Uh, he also noticed that the body appeared to have no head whatsoever. He then backed out of the hallway without touching or disturbing anything and asked out loud what happened. Rubio stood up and said, arrest me. Arrest me? That's Arre what he says. He stated, arrest me. For officer safety and to prevent further contamination, he had everybody leave the apartment. And do, does he know at this time who Rubio is to this child? No. These okay. are just people that are in the apartment that he was told by two other people to go in. So he doesn't know who's what, what's going on. So he made everybody leave. And then as he was leaving, the backup officer showed up and he said, told him handcuff Rubio for everybody's safety. And then they handcuffed the woman. Then they waited for other detectives to show up. The detectives took over the scene. And from that point, it was deemed a homicide investigation. So the officer was no longer required to be in there. So he, now they he said stepped out. the babies were in the back, but he only saw one. That's all he saw in that room. Because remember, he said once he saw that there was a baby that was dead, he didn't want to disturb anything else. And he just backed out and decided, I'm going to wait for the detectives to get here because I don't want to disturb any of the, okay. disturb the crime scene or anything like that. So good on him, right? Because we've had a lot of stories in the past where they just go in and make a giant mess and don't mm -hmm. even really do a very good job of keeping it contained and isolated. Ultimately, there ended up being three victims. The oldest victim, her name was Julissa Quezada. She was three. The other victim was a little boy. His name was John Estefan Rubio. He was one. And the youngest of our victims, her name was Mary Jane Rubio, and she was only two months old. And so with the last name Rubio, I'm assuming they belong to that piece of shit that said arrest me, unfortunately. That one, yes. Let's do a little background on John Allen Rubio. So he was born in August of 1980. He was a chronic drug user. He inhaled spray paint all the time. His mother's name is Hilda Rubio and his father's name is Manuel Rubio. But at the time when all this happened, he had just found out who his dad was. 
So that's only in there because he just found out. He has three siblings, Manuel, who was 24 at the time of the story, Jose, who was 17, and Rodrigo, who was 18. He was born and raised around the Brownsville area, so he went to all the different schools there. He randomly worked at Golden Corral, McDonald's, and a couple of other places. So no really long-term job or any, he didn't really have a, a career or anything like that. And then, so his common-law wife at the time, her name is Maria Angela Camacho. She was born in 1979. She was an immigrant, so she basically came over here for Madame Morris because, you know, it's, it's adjacent. So she wasn't really here legally. So when they met, they met through friends. Angela already had the older daughter, Jalissa, from a different man, and she was pregnant with the boy when they met. So she had one daughter, was pregnant, and so they liked each other, so they started dating and living together and basically being married common law. They, they were together after that. So her first two kids weren't by him? No. Just the third one? Just the third but one. But the second one took his name? Yes. Because, because she, they met? Okay. Yeah. They met, she had the baby, and then because I guess he was around, she named him... Fair enough. John Rubio. And then less than a year, she became pregnant with Mary Jane. And that was his baby. And so she obviously took the name of Rubio. So when they arrested them at the time, Rubio had been, he was on probation for a marijuana charge from back in 2001. He pled guilty to less than two grams of marijuana. One time, you know how when you're on probation, they make you do random drug mm-hmm. tests. One of those random drug tests came back positive for cocaine and marijuana. So obviously his probation is revoked at that point and they issued a warrant for his arrest. And Camacho didn't have any criminal record at all. So there was no record of her doing anything illegal or even if she did, it wasn't documented. Rubio's classmates, because he did graduate, they said that he was shy. They said that he was a slow learner and that he was in the ROTC program. So that's really all that was about about him. So, so here we have this couple that are very young. They're in their 20s. And they've got three children together. She isn't working. He isn't working. And they're, they've got these three babies. So there was a social worker that was called to go over there because people that were in the neighborhood kept hearing screaming and stuff. So a social worker is called. And this happened in late 2002. Okay. So they first encountered Camacho and her Kamalan husband in May the year of before. the previous year. Okay. Yeah. They were living in the streets when they weren't moving in between relatives' houses and stuff like that. The children weren't fed and were covered in mosquito bites and behind on all of their immunizations. But over the next six months, a time period that included an accusation of child abuse against the couple, but the state couldn't prove that. It was just an accusation. So during the six months that they were uh, being watched, right, Mm -hmm. because when someone reports, they watch you for six months. So during this time, there was another claim that they had abused the kids, but they couldn't prove it. But over the next six months, they did successfully complete parenting classes. They got the kids caught up on all their immunizations. And they moved into this cinder block apartment that was two blocks away from the Cameron County Courthouse in downtown Brownsville. So they met all the requirements that the social workers set up and said, okay, well, you're doing all the right things to take care of your children. They closed the case in December. As a a quote from the one that oversaw the case, he said, no one had seen any physical abuse, but the neighbors said they heard babies crying and parents yelling at their children. So at this point, they've satisfied all the requirements. So we, we have to close the case. We can't just keep it open. Mm-hmm. But one of their neighbors named Juan Hernandez told the Associated Press he and other neighbors had called police repeatedly about fights and beatings that they heard coming from the apartment at night. 
But and this was after the case was this, closed? This, mm-hmm. After the case was closed before this happened. Okay. But they never, they couldn't prove it, right? They didn't have video of it. And if the social workers went back, there was no physical evidence to back it up. So <sighs> maybe they were beating the walls or the beds and not each other, but there was a lot of commotion going on over there. And so the Jeffrey Wool guy actually said, it's very frustrating. The kids were healthy. They had their shots. Everything was looking good. So we closed the case. Then this happened. I'm not saying they were model parents, but these were parents that had a good relationship with their children as far as we could tell. They reduced the risk factors in their home and we didn't see any reason to keep the case open. It makes you wonder what must have happened to trigger this kind of thing. It's just weird to me how you can go from not having a home for your children Mm -hmm. to fast forward six months and be what they consider on paper a model parent and then they just close the case. You think they would say, okay, you've done great in six months. We'll revisit you in three months and see how you are or maybe in 30 days because a lot can happen. I mean, look what they did in six months. Mm -hmm. What can happen in another 30 days? True. Yeah. And I mean, it's just amazing. They just close the case and walk, you know, hands clean, walk away. I don't really know what that kind of, I don't know what the structure or the rules and regulations or what their process is. Like, I agree with you, but in order for them to be able to close it, they had to be able to prove that they're, because of the progress they made, I'm not trying to defend them, but no, yeah. because of the progress they made in six months, maybe because they're young and immature, they finally realized, okay, this is this is how to be a good parent, right? And maybe they just assumed that they would keep on that trajectory. But I don't know what the process is. Like, mm-hmm. do they go back? Clearly they don't because we, we already know what happens in several months after this. Unless maybe they do like yearly checkups or something. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that would be really good. But I mean, this happens quite a bit where mm-hmm. we have people that have been reported to social services. They go out, whether the social workers are overworked or it just the timing just isn't right. It mm-hmm. And then something ends up happening to either the children or even the parents sometimes, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. so it's a flawed system. I think they're doing the best they can. I, they probably don't make very much money. I think most of them do it just because they care and they're passionate yeah. and they want all the kids to have a good life. Mm-hmm. But if they're not provided all the tools to be successful, then sometimes they, they can't, you know, I, I don't know. It's frustrating. Yeah. And I don't biggest, think I could do it because no, I, I'd want to I take would be on, I would be going to every single house. I don't think I'd ever get any sleep because even think I would when five believe. o'clock came and when I'm supposed to go home, I would probably go check on the kids that I felt like weren't getting the attention they needed. Mm-hmm. And then I would bring them home. Like I would have a giant yeah. daycare, I guess. Like I don't instead know. of people like I brought another stray yeah. home, like instead I brought working another kid home. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it would be that way. That's, I, I, I'm not cut out to do that kind of work because well, I, I don't think I'd ever believe the parents. Like even if they were making progress, yeah. I think it'd be hard for me to be like, mm, I don't know if I believe you completely, you know, yeah. especially the ones that can't speak for themselves. Or like you, you see them in the street and you just like put, put a snack in their backpack or, yeah. you know, slide some new clothes in there you know just ran like the i don't know i just couldn't do it so for those of you that do that kind of work you're saying thank you mucho respect but i I don't know but you're right you would think that they would follow up more often but so far i haven't seen that so all right we're going back to the scene of the crime where they're processing everything that happened so the children had been dead for several hours when they were discovered police found at least three knives in the apartment that were apparently used in the deaths of the three children and those were sent to the lab for analysis evidently they could tell based on what they saw that both of the parents were involved in the decapitation oh my god and let's be straight all three of them were decapitated not just one what in for i mean I, there's, this story there's gets never, really crazy there's never a good reason i mean there's no there's no reason for it 
So I don't know why I try and reason with it. But I don't, Yeah, you can't make sense of this whole thing. About 300 people, including entire families from the neighborhood, were crowded outside the police tape around the crime scene to watch as the investigators with their white gloves and paper shoes were walking in and out of the apartment. Workers at the nearby shelters and soup kitchens told reporters that the family was in there regularly for meals and showers. Garza was one of the cops that was on the scene. He pulled each of them, Camacho and Rubio, aside to make sure that they understood that they were being charged with capital murder and, and read them their rights. They both answered yes and said they had no questions, and they both admitted it. Yes, we did it. We did it. They acted as if they were in a trance, and they didn't really fight police. They were just like, yeah, we did it. So then they had the arraignment, and there were about 20 people there, it said. One of them was Rubio's aunt. The cops questioned her for like an hour and a half after the hearing, and she said um, if he says he did it, he probably did. He's usually a very happy person and sweet, so I'm very shocked. But she didn't have a lot of contact with him, she said. She had just moved back to Brownsville several years ago, and she only knew the two older children. She didn't know that they had a baby together. But she said that looking at him in the courtroom, it was like he was somebody different, somebody that she didn't know. She didn't recognize him and his behavior, and it was really sad. So a few days later, obviously they're charged with the killing. So basically they had uh, killed them, cut their heads off, and put the bodies in trash bags and put the heads separately somewhere away. So obviously they're saying death the death penalty is on the table because this is just horrific. It should be the only option. Yeah. And of course the judge, Reynaldo Garza, denied bond for both of them at their arraignment. So, uh, like a week later, we get the results of the autopsy. So, the Justice of the Peace announced that it showed the children were smothered, then stabbed several times before their heads were severed. The officers determined that the children's mother held their bodies down while the while Rubio cut their heads off. So, they weren't alive, right? I hope not. I, I hope not. not. Oh, my God. The children were, were buried six days after being found. The family members released three white doves. And at least 200 residents attended the funeral. But some of the residents decided to take out their anger out on the grandparents, which isn't fair. I mean, so there was a big scene at the funeral because obviously the public, some of the people in the public were there. And they started taking out on the grandparents, which is really bad. But I mean... Well, obviously the I, parents that did it weren't there. So where do you... I guess they had to... I guess they felt like they... Were your anger. Okay, so now we're in March 19th. And we're finally starting to get some information from Rubio and Camacho about why why did why they did this. Mm-hmm. So after they arrested, they told the police that their children were possessed. They used the word witches and witchcraft. Relatives claim the couple was interested in witchcraft, but they didn't seriously practice it. The day after the killings, Camacho said she and Rubio acted to stop the suffering of the children. She told police they were financially unable to care for their babies. Rubio told police he was a male prostitute and that that is how he earns his money. One of his former roommates had stopped by the couple's apartment hours before the killings and told police that Rubio answered the door smelling of paint. He had gold paint all around his face. He started to come in and Rubio said, you got to leave. Slammed the door, and um, but he, his roommate said he'd been sniffing a lot, a lot of paint. The couple had stashed the bodies in a closet. They scrubbed the blood-stained carpet and began soaking their clothes in the small bathroom. Then they allegedly took a bath, had sex, then moved two of the children's bodies to the bedroom, hiding them behind a crib. So they killed two of them, 
took a bath, had sex, and then they talked about the third child and determined they were going to have to kill him too. And he was the infant? The baby. The day that the children were killed was not divulged, but police believe the murders took place the night of the 10th or early the next morning on the 11th. So on the day of the killing, Rubio's brother and another woman found the bodies, ran outside and reported the incident to a police officer who was driving by. So they let people in their apartment knowing that what they had done and like let them go in there and see? They weren't trying to hide it at all. I mean, even when the cops came in there, they weren't like, even said they weren't fighting the cops. They didn't deny it. They're like, I mean, remember Rubio said, arrest me. In their mind, they think at this point, they are, they did the right thing that that the babies were suffering. They're like evil. I, I don't know. Yeah, they think it's okay. I'm like, that's fine. Come on in. The first detective on the scene, his name is Chris Ortiz. He said, I entered the house, discovered one baby lying on the bed naked. The condition of the baby was so clean, I didn't know it was a human body. So I touched the body to make sure. (sighs) The couple was planning to bury their children and leave the country. They were going to get a shopping cart, roll them to the city cemetery and bury them there. And then go across the border to Mexico. That was their plan. So why did they let people in their apartment? Uh, Well, it was his brother. I I don't know why they let him in. It's just crazy. I have a plan to get away with it, but then I'm going to tell people. I I guess... I I don't know. I guess... I know, I always try and reason. Like, I I try, but I never And I will tell you, there is no reasoning with this. You can't find it. There is none. It is... It is a fucked up story. It is just... It's jacked up. Close to the end of March now, in the same year. So there was a court-appointed attorney to represent Rubio. He is asking to seal the apartment so that the defense investigators can go and, and scour the crime scene and make sure that nothing was missed and help build a case, right? Basically, they're saying, you know, they didn't own the part the apartment. The apartment is rented. It's leased. So the landlord or anybody can just go in and do what they want. So it needs to be sealed. So they did that. So April, they finally get indicted. They were indicted for four counts. One count for each child and a fourth count for killing more than two people in the course of the same crime, which I've never heard of. But I've never have either. So they were... Good. Throw yeah, it on them. Exactly. The trial is set for August 18th with pre-trial hearings before that. I'm surprised they didn't get the, what is it, the unlawful uh, disposal of a body or something? Uh, well, or be- dismemberment of a body or yeah, something I, like I'm that? Yeah, I'm surprised too. Actually, it, that, or, didn't, the, that charge it, never comes up, death and dismemberment. Yeah, yeah or something, uh, unlawful too. use of a corpse or Unless something. Unless that came in after 2003, because this was in 2003. But okay. that is a really good point that I didn't think of. So I'm just trying to think of all the charges. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> stack them up. Stack yeah. them up. Yeah. I thought this was an interesting thing that was in the, I think they, I think this might've been a tactic by the defense to try to get a little sympathy. Cause it said during the indictments, the couple was wearing blue paper jumpsuits and clanking chains around their ankles and wrists. These are clothes that are issued to inmates that are on suicide watch. Good. I mean, I hope they're on suicide watch. I don't want them to go out that easy. Their poor babies didn't go out that easy. Why should they? Great point. So now the defense attorneys are asking the court to grant psychological evaluations for Rubio. I mean, obviously, that's the first thing you want to do. Uh, considering, yeah. <laughs> Right. Hello. <laughs> Obvi. Clearly, something psychiatric is going on. Yes. So the defense attorney is saying his client does not have a factual and rational understanding of the charges against either one of them. They described Camacho as unable to even speak in coherent sentences. So they weren't even sure if she could stand trial. 
And whether that's because of what they did or the state of mind she was in when it happened or whatever, it doesn't say. It just said that she couldn't even really talk. A little more detail on the autopsy I found later on said that one of the children had 12 stab wounds on her face and neck and 21 across her chest. And another one's vertebrae and ribs were broken several times. The, the little baby, the last one to die, had several stab wounds in her back and neck. I just can't understand because to me that is that is not just like you feel like you're doing the world a favor by getting by putting the babies out of there to protect them or whatever it said that sounds like rage yeah I mean that is a lot of stab wounds for a little tiny kid I mean yeah. it's a lot of stab wounds in general but for a little baby or well, a little and if kid, you think like how they're wide, so little yeah, I know and so how wide their torso is don't. that sounds like rage to me but yeah. nothing in here says that they were angry i mean obviously they were filled with some kind of rage or anger something in april like april 25th um evidently camacho was reported as hearing her dead children's voices she was refusing to eat any food for more than a week she was repeatedly banging her head on her jail cell meanwhile her attorney is filing a motion to separate the couple's trial so they're not tried together mm -hmm. and then obviously they're going to seek the death penalty for both of them which why wouldn't they now we're into august like mid to late august and now the defense attorneys have decided they want to suppress some of rubio's statements and evidence that he gave to police some of the stuff she said didn't line up with what he said and they didn't want it to be allowed in evidence because they thought it was going to corrupt one of the other stories which is also why they decided to try them separately as well all right so that makes sense yeah that's fair all right, so now we're in early September. After almost three days of testimony, a judge denied a motion by the defense attorneys to have the confession excluded from the upcoming trial. All the motions that were heard today were denied. This was the court reporter that was telling this to the press. It said, the judge wanted me to tell you all the motions that were heard today were denied. That's all the judge told me to tell you. So they started asking <laughs> her questions and she was like, that's all the judge told me to tell you. So this is state district judge Robert Garza. He refused to comment. He kicked reporters out of his courtroom after the hearing began. He also imposed a gag order forbidding everyone involved in the trial from talking to the media, which is a common thing we've heard. Several police officers and one of Rubio's brothers testified and a court bailiff carried three plastic bags into the courtroom. Hmm. A couple of days later, because I figured out, I found our salty person in this story. You've, if you haven't figured it out, it's our judge. Oh, great. But this one was from the Brownsville Herald. It says... With the details about the case hard to obtain, and Garza has not returned phone calls from the Brownsville Herald spanning three weeks, seeking to find out if the media will be allowed to be at the trial, or even if they would be allowed a copy of the transcript of the proceedings that took place, Garza received sharp criticism from experts in constitutional law for his banning of the media from the... <laughs> proceedings and was criticized in a recent issue of texas lawyer magazine for impeding the rights of the press how dare he it took five months for the herald to obtain a copy of the original police report the reports are usually considered public information but the brownsville pd was hesitant to hand over the document to ensure the integrity of the case and they didn't want to upset judge garza any further <laughs> <laughs> they didn't want any more bad juju on them no so i wrote judge salty we're talking about little innocent children that had no way to defend themselves. Well, in, in other cases where I've heard women take their children out of this world because of that reason, they don't do it so barbarically. I mean, I'm not saying that what they did is okay, but some of those mothers that had a vision that 
they needed to do their whatever. children were going to be killed or something was mm-hmm. going to happen to them and they truly felt like they were protecting them they drowned them or they did it so fast that their children didn't suffer and then you have these three children suffer so now we're into october of 2003 and there are reports coming out of some of the stuff from the trial so one of the people that testified as a woman named mary elena alvarez She was one of the seven witnesses that testified on the first day. One of the quotes is she said, I guess she went in. Maybe she was the woman that was with Rubio's brother. I think she was. She said it was a child's body and without his head. She wiped tears from her eyes after being shown a picture of her holding that same baby when he was alive. So Mm. this was Rubio's brother's girlfriend. In an unusual move, uh, the defense team reserved its opening statements and initial opportunities to cross-examine witnesses until later in the trial. I don't really know what that tactic's for. I didn't, it didn't make sense to me, but maybe they were thinking that they, maybe they were still trying to gather, gather more evidence. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't want to be this defense. No, I mean, you have hardly anything. The only real thing I think you have is crazy insanity. Yeah. The insanity is the only way. Or, um, their mental health. Self-defense is not an option. Absolutely not. (laughs) So prosecutors told the jury that they would prove this to be a case of depravity, but not insanity. The assistant DA said that children had been sick the weekend before they were killed. He said, you will hear that their benefits, their food stamps were going to be cut back. The rent was due. They were in desperate times. And so they decided they would kill their children. Instead of call the social worker and say, hey, we can't afford. We can't do this. We thought we could do it, but we can't. We have come to the conclusion that we may need to kill our children. So you think you could help us out? Come help us. And you know that social worker and anyone would come running to save those children. A few days later, Rubio takes the stand. He claims that his common law wife told him to kill the children because they were evil. He says, and I quote, My daughter started to speak like my grandmother who had passed away. She told me that she had taken Jalissa's soul. She started to laugh and was making growls at me. My wife told me to kill the children because they were evil. And there's no way that could have been that gold paint he was huffing. Bingo. Um, He told a psychiatrist he cut off the children's heads because he learned from a movie that it was the only surefire method of exorcism. He then put the heads in a bucket of water and hid them away from the bodies to ensure that the pieces were wouldn't reunite. I don't even know what to say. This is the hell I've been in the past week through this story. I silence. I know. I I I, I, I don't know. No words. So Detective Lucio, who was one of the first ones on scene, said that Rubio willingly confessed he wasn't under any intoxicants. He was coherent. He was listening. He looked like he understood what he was doing. And Rubio told Lucio, I killed the kids. What else do you need? I wonder if he still had gold paint all over him when they got there. He had to have. No, remember they bathed. Oh, that's right. So it was probably gone then. Otherwise, it would have been really obvious. But there were empty spray paint cans all over the place. So they already knew. I mean, at the time, he probably wasn't. But they saw, I mean, that apartment was, it was bad. There was trash everywhere. I mean, it even explains it later. It, It wasn't a place for little children to be raised at all. I mean, it wasn't even livable for adults, but they were fine with it because they didn't, they don't, they didn't care. And when you huff paint, the high doesn't last very long, right? Producer? Yeah? When you huff paint, it doesn't last long, right? Uh, about 20 minutes. Wow. So you so, have to keep huffing and huffing and huffing? All day. And does it take longer to get that 20 minutes because you've been doing it a long time? Uh, kind of. And doesn't <laughs> it like melt your brain? Yeah. It's gross. Never done it. I swear. 
<laughs> um, okay, so he says, I killed the kids. What else do you need? So, of course, Rubio's attorneys entered insanity pleas for all four counts. Like, mm-hmm. they really don't have any other choice, right? Well, and like we've said in every episode, to kill someone at some point, you have to be insane. But in this situation, you are beyond insane. It's not like a crime of passion where... Mm-hmm. Or you are driven by money or fame or fortune or something. You've taken the most innocent thing off the planet. Mm -hmm. So later in the day, the jurors saw a videotaped confession in which Rubio told police of a 1999 dream, which a voice told him he had to help out and change the world because there's so much evil. He also explained how he took Camacho away from a very abusive relationship and how the two went from one living arrangement to another, often taking in his mom and his brothers. The previous day in court, the jurors were shown photos of the babies Mm. after they were killed. See, I, I wouldn't mind being on a jury, but I couldn't. I would be excluded because i'd be like well i already think they did it and they're guilty as hell so you're not i I can't you were talking about like going on the stand and stuff i was thinking i've always wanted to be part of a jury but that is not one Mm -mm. i could be part of i would be i'd be a hot mess there's no way i could well first of all like i don't want to look at any of the pictures and just knowing the story and reading the details i i earlier I almost cried you you have to try to detach yourself from it but that's when you see those pictures you can't unsee that stuff no you can't unsee it they're burning your corner you can't unsee that so finally Camacho was called to the stand to testify against her Kamala husband but she pleaded the fifth amendment and refused to even speak her name (laughs) the DA said it's like having a two year old on the stand (laughs) (laughs) However, Camacho's attorney said that calling her to the stand was inappropriate since her mental competence hasn't been determined, which is true. And whenever you, I know whenever you're legally married, you can't. I know. I wonder why that didn't come up. Go against each other. So I guess common law isn't, doesn't fall under that category. Honestly, I have to think that because of the situation because of what happened it's almost like they didn't really consider that they were like look these two have confessed they're not denying it they were each involved in some capacity so i was surprised that that it was i assumed it was going to be separate so the fact that they were saying it might not be was surprising to me so Mm -hmm. i i and i know that's not a new law so i i think maybe it's just a sensitive thing and they just maybe they weren't thinking straight I don't know. And so her attorney continues to say that she has the right to remain silent until her trial. Uh, And obviously the state and the defense are trying to circumvent that. Of course they are because they want to get to the bottom of what happened. They also let the jurors go to the apartment. So the jurors spent 20 minutes touring the rundown apartment where the children were killed. Um, It was filled with trash, including two shopping carts filled with trash, floors that had the blood had soaked through the carpet into the floor. It was bad. It had been vacant, but it's not like people put their trash in there. That's how it was left, remember, because they sealed Mm -hmm. it off so nobody could get in. That sucks for the apartments, you know? Yeah. Because they can't even rent it, Mm -hmm. so they lose money every month. And think about the people, because this isn't like a nice apartment complex. This is a rundown. Remember, it said Mm -hmm. built out of cinder blocks. So think about the people that don't have a choice and can't move and still have to live in that Mm because this was one apartment out of I don't know how many there may be but think about the people that didn't that couldn't move that still Mm -hmm. had to go there every night knowing that that happened right on the other side of the wall Mm -hmm. okay so now we're in April of 2003 they brought in a local anthropologist to look at the couple's apartment and interview them to find out how much if any witchcraft played a role in in these killings 
And this guy said there were no animal bones, no grave dirt, no ritualistic carvings or any kind of markings on their body and nothing about what they, the way they answered the questions or anything. There was zero indication that there was any kind of witchcraft being practiced or even that they had any beliefs because, you know, someone in their family said that they were interested in it. There weren't even any books in their house on it. So kind of a stretch there. So at least they're pursuing all the options to Mm -hmm. show, okay, so maybe they are in the witchcraft Mm -hmm. and maybe some of this did happen, but so far there's zero evidence of that. So now they let Rubio's mom, Hilda, take the stand to testify. She says she's neither a witch nor a freeloader, that she did live with her son now and then. She denied that she told him at an early age that he was chosen. Wait, so she got on the stand and said, I'm not a witch? Yep. (laughs) <laughs> she testified that she was neither a witch nor a freeloader living her I just want to let the record son. stand. I am neither of those. I know witch. <laughs> she and so evidently there was a story that Rubio said that his mom told him he was a chosen one. She said in fact it was the other way around saying he told her she was the chosen one. She also told the defense she had a history of smoking crack and supported herself with odd jobs including prostitution. She said she came to the apartment on March the 10th, specifically to tell her son she would have money for the rent the next day. So was she living with them? Yes. Well, I guess she was, but she wasn't there a lot, clearly, or she wasn't there. She said she came by on the 10th to tell him she would pay rent, but then she left, I guess, because she wasn't there when the cops got there. Yeah. And either maybe she, she I never lived really in the trash-filled apartment. I've never considered that she may be involved, but maybe she was. I don't know. So they're just all about prostituting all the time? I know, and drugs and... It just, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying those babies are better off dead, but I wish that they would not have made such good progress in six months and they would have been given to a loving family. Me too. Okay. So then now we have a forensic pathologist that's testifying that she does not believe that Rubio was insane when he killed, beheaded his three children. A what? Huh? She doesn't think he's insane? Yeah. She said, I doubt Rubio was insane when he killed, beheaded his three children. She interviewed him for seven hours and says that his chronic use of spray paint in the days before the slayings might have induced a psychotic state. But she said all of the indications were there that he knew what he was doing was wrong. Mm. So you can't be insane if you are aware of what you're doing is wrong. Oh, jeez. That makes it even more sick. I completely agree. Okay, so now we're in November of 2003. They find him guilty of three counts of murder, and obviously they want to sentence him to death. But the you know how the punishment phase happens later. It says that he stood there with his head slightly bowed, otherwise showed little emotion as the verdict was read. So one day after his conviction, the jury suggested that he be executed for the murders. Amen. Um, mm-hmm. And he basically had said a couple of days before that he wanted to die. He said, give me the death penalty. I want to die. So basically he got what he wanted. But some of the jurors didn't like that. They were like, hey, hold on. We did not give him that because that's what he wanted. That's what he deserves. That's what the law demands. That's what the entire city of Brownsville and everybody else in Texas that knows the story. That's what they want, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. At this point, we're we're Texans. Eye for an eye. You know, what happens to, you know, we know, we hear all the time about men that go to prison that have jacked with kids. Even the prisoners themselves will kill those guys. Yeah. So they're like, you don't mess with kids. You want to fight someone, fight someone your own side. Yeah. So I thought it was important to note that he asked for that. 
the jury didn't pick it for him. They're like, they nah, man, it. we ain't giving you We did it for everybody want. else, yeah, right? majority wins. So now we're in March of 2004. So we're almost a year to the date where it happened. So now uh, Camacho's attorneys, because so now her trial's going to start, right? Because he's been convicted he's Mm -hmm. he's going to get the death penalty so now her attorneys are trying to prove that she's mentally challenged in the hopes of saving her from the death chamber if she's convicted her attorney said that she is scored below average in competency test taken before 2003 and he expects that the results of any iq test we're gonna will be available in a month but if she's found to have an iq below 70 she could be deemed mentally challenged, therefore not eligible for the death sentence. Well, I agree. I mean, if she's mentally challenged. Well, that's a that's a law that was, I think it said 2001 when that became a law. Like if you're mentally challenged, your IQ is under 70, you cannot, you can be in prison for what you did, but yeah. you can't be executed. Yeah, I agree with that. A couple of months later, Camacho was seeing a psychiatrist or trying to get her somewhat to where she can stand trial and be mentally competent. They have her on some kind of medication. So for now, in his opinion, she's competent to stand trial. And 10 more days of additional time to prepare to argue whether or not she is able to stand. They keep going back and forth. She's competent. She's not. She con- She's competent. She's not. So during this time, Rubio is awaiting an appeal, which his defense attorney says could take up to a year before it heads to court. So he's convicted, but they still haven't given him the death penalty yet. And he's already starting to appeal. Even though he said he wanted to die, he's already starting the appeal process, which gives it should give indication that this is probably going to go on and on. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now May 2004, Camacho's attorney says she scored a 51 on her IQ test. And they gave her two different ones. No, she scored it. Scored. Scored it. <laughs> she scored a 51. And then they compared that to a test she took when she was 14. And that score was 62. So I think she was faking some of her answers. No, I just think she's mentally challenged. I think is what they're trying to prove out. Um, It says her attorney says she is exactly the type of person the Supreme Court was trying to exclude from the death penalty in 2002. That's when that law was banning the execution of people that are mentally challenged. This is super interesting. So now we're in May of 2004. I don't see anything else in any articles until June of 2005. So it's a full year before any movement. What we hear now is completely different than what was said before. Because now it says the DA said Camacho received an IQ score of 69 in a test that an expert gave her in English. The score was one point below the mentally challenged line, but the state considered more factors, including her social skills and the language of the test that she took. So evidently the previous tests were in Spanish. Mm -hmm. She received a 72 in another test and an 88 in one test given to her when she was 14. So these scores are totally different from what they said last year. But remember the defense are the ones, the defense attorneys are the ones that gave out the number. So clearly they were trying to Mm -hmm. keep her from being executed. And it's, says the score depends on how someone is feeling and obviously for her what language the test is given in so a lot of variables but those are the numbers are really all around like all different from 51 to 69 from 62 to 88 like i I don't know which one i believe yeah right the next month in july she pleads guilty she says i i did it and and she was spared the death penalty in a deal with prosecutors she will receive three concurrent life prison sentences and will be eligible for parole in 40 years. Okay? So, that's Camacho. 
So now we're in September of 2007. Alan Rubio's conviction and death sentence four years ago were improper because statements from his common law wife were erroneously allowed into evidence. The court said Rubio's lawyers were not allowed to challenge Camacho's statements by cross-examining her because she refused to testify. The trial judge, over an objection from Rubio's lawyers, still allowed it. So even though the attorneys were like, objection, he still allowed it. Given the situation, I mean, you got to think about it's a tough situation because Camacho is also, she's an accomplice and having to testify. She's having to be a direct witness with her testimony. It had great significance, obviously, right? And you know she was under pressure and there's nothing to prevent her from modifying what she's saying to benefit herself because Mm -hmm. it's, he said, she said, Right. right? So they really should have never let her testify. So in a way he has, he does have a valid point that there's, there was stuff that was said by his common law wife that probably shouldn't have been entered into evidence, but you still did it. Yeah. That's a technicality. You, you, and it's his attorneys working the system. I get it, but it's so damn frustrating that, you know, here we are in 2007. It's been four years since these little babies have been murdered. There's really been no justice except for they're both behind bars. And is that enough justice? I I don't think so. Well, and the- will there ever be enough justice? Probably not. No. And the sad thing is, is usually the people that are fighting for justice are the parents. And the parents are the ones that did it. Exactly. So if the parents aren't there to find justice, who's going to be there? That's the community is really all that's there. Unless, besides our grandparents, I guess. A few more years go by. Now we're in February of 2010. It's ridiculous. So, this is crazy. So here's where it takes a weird turn. This was the big headline. John Allen Rubio believes he is a hero. Did he sneak paint in the jail? That's a great question. <laughs> Probably. Was he like sniffing the walls? I just think he's just not mentally there. I just, how else? There's no other way for me to understand. That's how I'm going to have to believe in my brain. Maybe that he this went from is. huffing paint to eating paint chips. Yeah. And maybe there was lead paint. I don't know. <laughs> They're, they're saying, even though Rubio understands all of the facts and the matters of the case, he sees the world differently than the average person, clearly. Oh, yeah. They said he suffers from a delusional order and that he believes he's the chosen one. He believes he is competent. He believes his reality is true. He believes he saved humanity, that he's a hero, and that he did the right thing. And he claims that he's been controlled by witchcraft and controlled by Satan. Well, I would agree with the last part. I agree with that too. They have determined that he has a severe learning disability, ADHD, and a very, very low intelligence. He would, they wouldn't put his score on there, but they did say that for sure. Well, it obviously is above 71 or they wouldn't be able to give him the death penalty. That's true. And so now we're in July of 2010, right? So five months later. So his previous conviction was overturned. Shut the front door. Yep. So now they're going to have to seek a change of venue. They have to, they tried to find jurors, same situation as some of the other cases. Everybody knows about it. So they ask for a change of venue. They get that. And then they still have a hard time finding jurors. So it finally begins. If you tell me by the end of this that he gets off free, I'm throwing myself in the floor like a two-year-old. After four hours of deliberation, he was found guilty again of capital murder of the three children. He remained emotionless, of course, as before. Uh, The judge vowed to throw anybody out who reacted to the verdict. So the courtroom remained silent after everything was read. Now, this is a different judge because they moved him to Hidalgo County, which I'm not sure exactly where that is. Okay. A few days later, the punishment phase, death sentence again. Before entering the sentence, this judge, Judge Gonzalez, asked Rubio if there was anything he would like to say. He said, I thank the jury for giving me a chance to show what I could. (laughs) 
there's an article about the city of Brownsville is working with the Texas Historical Commission to decide what to do with the building. The address is 805 North Tyler, where, where the killings happened. So the city bought the building in 2009 for $89,000, and it was in a state of disrepair. But they want to preserve it and possibly use it as a nonprofit center, a city artifact repository, or maybe build a garden. They didn't know. They didn't know what they were going to do with it. But So they're having meetings to figure out what to do. Well, at least if they made it like a nonprofit, at least those babies' lives would be... There's some semblance some, of... Something. Some kind of... You know, someone come out get... Of it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So now we're in June... Uh, no, I'm sorry. March. March of 2013, the Cameron County DA's office, and the reason why the office is so involved in this is that the building, this apartment building was close to that district attorney's office. It was like right in that area. So I think they felt really close to it because I wasn't sure why the DA's office did this and not the family, but it says the DA's office held a memorial service outside the vacant apartment complex where the three children were killed. It said, we don't want our community to remember those two monsters and they don't deserve the attention that they've already received, which is very good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure in small town, Texas, we love football. We love children. Mm-hmm. We love family, right? Mm-hmm. So we love we, food. Don't forget food. Oh yes, lots of food. Mm-hmm. But when something like that happens in a small town in Texas, they don't forget. No, especially when you're that close to downtown. Mm-hmm. So the family. I mean, there's unfortunately the people that would be remembering. Like I said earlier, would be the parents. But since they're the ones that did it, there's really no one to remember their their legacy. So yeah. The city kind of did that, which I think is very, they did it very for good. them. Yeah. All right. So um, now we're in November 2013. That piece of shit Rubio files another motion to recuse Judge Gonzalez, which was the judge in the county that he tried, saying that there was ineffective assistance of counsel during his trial. Yeah. And then you don't hear anything else. And so now we're in December of 2015. Mm -hmm. So he's still in jail. She's still in jail. The Brownsville City Commission decided unanimously to demolish the apartment building at 805 East Tyler. Hmm. Those living in the area see it not only as an eyesore, but also as a horrific reminder of what happened there. Totally understood. Fair enough. Finally, in May of 2016, they finally demolished the apartment building. Good. Finally. Officer Juan Hernandez said, it's a sad day in our city's history. I know a lot of people think we made a bigger issue out of it, but it was. Three innocent children got killed by people who were supposed to protect them, their parents. Although demolishing the building is something everyone was glad to see, complete closure will come when Rubio is put to death. Very well said. So now in November 28th, which was on Thanksgiving, right, of 2016, the junior ROTC at the Hannah High School, which is a local in Brownsville, is working on, they're building a garden in the empty lot where the building was. Amazing. So they're building, you know, there's, I have pictures of it. They're building these wooden planter boxes and it's going to be a community garden. That was in 2016. May of 2018, the court denies another appeal by Rubio. Execution date for him has not been set and he is eligible for parole in 2043. So that piece of shit is still alive. Continuing to appeal at every opportunity, every little tiny mistake that any of the prosecutors make, they jump on it. But he's still alive. There was one book written. It's called The Long Shadow of Small Ghost, Murder and Memory in an American City. Uh, the author is Laura Tillman, and there are some articles about her, too. Um, the book was published in 2016, I think, based on the reviews. It was a really good book, and I even found some pictures of her in the Brownsville Herald where she, like, goes and 
talks to the people that live there and it's a good it's probably a good book i don't know so basically that area where that apartment complex was is now called the trace angeles which i think is three angels in spanish mm -hmm. And it's a community garden. So people plant stuff Aww. there and they plant vegetables and flowers. And there's um, there's a picture of the mural painted and it's got like wings. And so it ended up being a community thing. But those poor kids, that's all I have. That's a lot. I have his confession. Do you want me to read all of his confession? I don't give a shit what he had to say. Okay. Personally. That's what I thought too. I mean, even if he, even if they found a hundred books about witchcraft and even if there was witchcraft on the poor baby's bodies... Still doesn't make any sense to me because he obviously felt that way or believed that because of all the fucking pain he was huffing. Mm -hmm. So he, whether he wants to believe that he did it or didn't do it, if you allowed yourself to become addicted to huffing paint and live in that world, then you allowed yourself to be the monster to your children and go into that world. I mean, I, I know I do believe that, you know, drug addiction is very bad in America. Mm-hmm. And people fall down that rabbit hole, unfortunately, and they fall victim to it. But his was, I mean, I don't know, if you have kids and you know that you have a problem, then let somebody raise your children until you can get help or you feel like you are ready to get help. Yeah. Because you never know, like, if he did look at his daughter and felt that she was possessed and was talking like his mother, grandmother, whatever, obviously that was the drugs. Yeah, so, he was... I'm sure he was hallucinating. And I, I, I kept, I struggled during research in this story. I struggled the whole time. Why didn't the mother protect her children? Why didn't the mother protect her children? But she wasn't completely mentally capable of understanding everything, obviously. Mm -hmm. Right. She didn't speak very much English. All she knew was being pregnant. Like it, there's not a whole lot on her of what she did before she came over. She already had two children. She got pregnant by him. And she had three children really, really quickly. She was she was only 27 when all this happens, or 24. She was really young. And if he made her believe that her babies were evil and that was his way of telling, maybe he made her, maybe he's the one that convinced her, hey, if we don't do this, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're possessed or evil. Like I can see a person in her state believing that and thinking she's saving them. I'm not saying what she did is right, but like, I just couldn't understand, like, how do you, how do you buy that bullshit? Like, how do you let well, that happen? Well, and if they heard yelling and screaming all the time, I mean, who knows what he was doing to her? True. I mean, true, maybe she didn't have black eyes and stuff, but he, he could have been choking her. He mm -hmm. could have been hitting her in places they didn't see. Or if she was, if she was as mentally challenged as they thought she was at one point scoring such a low score. Um, it wouldn't have taken much to beat her down because she didn't yeah. really understand. Mm -hmm. um, he could even threaten that he would have done stuff and she wouldn't have known that he wasn't yeah. going to do that stuff, you know? And it's it's sad. This is where, like we were talking about earlier, I wish that we didn't have so many kids in those situations and then our social workers could spend more time and have more resources. But there's so many cases like that and it well it's also it's not just about the children too. bear with me for a second here this is a, a common theme that we've found in many of our stories and that is there are mental health issues in this story and the previous stories so even if we don't have a super good system to help the children that are in these homes we need to do something to help the parents that are having these mental issues that need help because we don't we suck at that right now because mm -hmm. it is a 
rampant problem that we have everywhere. Mm-hmm. This is all, you know, all the shit, these people that are going around and killing people. And even today, on our way home, I'm on 30, and me and, me and Chrissy are talking. I look in my rearview mirror, and I see this white truck hauling ass in one lane to my right, and this Nissan dark-colored Rogue hauling ass to my left. And it is very obvious to me, okay, so they're racing. Then the white truck starts to to get over like they're going to cut that other car off. And the white truck passes me, starts to pass me. And that rogue cut in front of me and cut in front of that truck and exited. And that truck followed them. So there was a road rage shit happening right, right then and there. If I hadn't been paying attention to what I was doing, I could have had a wreck. But I saw them and I just slowed down. But my point is, it's there's such... We are not helping our fellow Americans that have major mental problems. We have to fix that. I I agree. Because fixing that will help the situation. If someone had helped this this couple and said, look, this couple is young. They're struggling. They can barely take care of their children. Let's get them help. And while they're getting help, let's help their children. Then this situation could have been avoided. Well, yes, yeah, in a in a way. Now, if he if he didn't if his was mainly because of the drugs, I don't think it was just the drugs. Because think about his mom. His mom said that she regularly used crack, and that she was a prostitute. So if that's the case, I'm sure he didn't have a really good. He probably didn't grow up in a healthy home. I'm sure there were drugs and alcohol when he was little. So I'm not saying that that gives him the right to be the way he was, but he didn't have a normal upbringing and he probably started drinking and doing drugs Mm -hmm. really young. But I also go back to if the, if we didn't drop out after six months and a social worker stayed in there a little bit longer, because maybe they didn't feel that he had any mental problem because they changed their life around and they were doing well. But if they had stayed in a little bit longer, if, whether it's a rule that we don't have or whether it's just how the process is, if they had random check-ins for the next three months, maybe they would have seen that he had some kind of mental instability, whether it's because he's covered in pain or they maybe find out that he's prostituting, then they could have taken those kids out of the situation. Yeah. But I think it's a, I think it's both yeah, in this situation. It now, let's both. say that they followed him for three years and he was doing great. And then he started huffing pain again or his mental health. And then he did this. You can't blame a social system. You know, you can't babysit people forever. Yeah. But I just feel like six, to go from that to six months and then just goodbye, see you later. I'm sure they, I, I, they definitely let him down. And you could tell like that the one guy, the his last name was Wool. He... You could tell that he was like, I, I, everything seemed fine. I'm sure they blame themselves too. Like oh, I'm if, sure. if I had just, if only I had checked one more time or if, if, if. Yeah, absolutely. So just not too long ago when the Amber Alert was going off and I always mm-hmm. worry when the Amber Alert goes off, like what if they pass me and I'm not paying attention mm-hmm. and I'm that one person that that little part. girl or little boy passes and is like, oh, they're going to be my safe haven. And I was too busy talking or mm-hmm. listening to my music to not pay attention, you know? And that's not even, I mean, I feel like that's our job as American citizens to, to help out our other families, but you know, it's a very sad so story. So this was a bad one, but it is a bad one, but I mean, it's a, it's a good one in the sense that we do learn a little bit more about our system yeah. where we can help make changes. Well, rest in peace. The little angels, Jalissa, Mary Jane and John and, uh, the monsters. I hope they rot in jail. Pieces of shit. Amen. That's it. That's a wrap. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all.
Case File 19, The Three Little Angels, closed. 